0: Tihei mauri ora, kē whai wahi ko nei hei mihi poroporoaki, kia tangihia tātou mo te manu tioriori, te manu kai aia, ngā tūrā. Kei te tangi te toka, ko mate mai, haere ki te kaingo ngā mātua tūpuna, haere, haere, haere. E te uri o Ngāti mani poto Maniapoto, Ngāti Raukawa, me te iwi hurai, haere eoki ki te tuturu o ngā mātua tūpuna, kāti.
1: Mate atu he kura, ara mai anō he kura. E te iwi, my mai hoki mai anō ki te ko maraia rakuraku mau a koa.
2: Tāne tūta tene, Kia, Kia ora tātā katoa. katoa. With ANZAC Day being observed this coming week, our archival segment, Ngā Taonga Korero, focuses on the 28th Māori Battalion.
3: An attack on the Maoris only two nights ago was beaten off, and one of the final triumphs of this battalion was their sortie next day, of which resulted in the capture of the entire company which had opposed them.
1: This week's Whakatauki, Mateatsu Hetete Kura, Ara Mayano in war, leaders fall and leaders rise is not only appropriate for the 28th Battalion, but it's the whakatauki that inspired the ārepakahi to write and then direct his short film, Taua, with producer Quentin Hita.
4: Well, the film is actually ridiculous on every level. Uh, I say this partly tongue-in-cheek and partly with some pride as well, I guess, that I, I, I would go so far as to say this would have to be one of the you know, the top five most ambitious short films ever shot.
2: What happens when you mix four strong opinionated Māori, place them on a bus and packed them off to do a week tour. Well, in an interview with Manaia Rakuraku, writer Apirana Taylor shares with us his experiences.
1: We started today's programme with a mihi to musician Mahina Toka, who died this past week at the age of 52.
2: Mahina Rangituka's contribution to the Māori music scene was verging on prolific with a 30-year career as a songwriter, poet and actress.
1: With a number of albums, from her first release in 1982 to her latest in 2004 titled The Mongrel and Me, Mahinarangi attributed her musicality to the mixture of her Celtic, Jewish and Maori whakapapa. In
2: 1997, she talked about those influences as well as her activism with Diana Burns during the Radio New Zealand National Programme Into the Night.
5: I, I tend to look at my music as having more of a passion that comes from a Jewish background and Māori background. I don't really know how to analyse that, except that there is an emotion there that is probably comes from that heritage. Do you think
6: that the Jewish influence is as strong as the Māori one Definitely. on your music?
5: Yes, I do. I mean, sometimes it comes out in terms of lyrics, or sometimes it comes out in a humorous way when I'm doing live performances, either or, either Māori or or, um, Jewish, but of course that's also a Scottish thing, you know, (laughs) and I I think perhaps the way I apply my lyrics or um, a melody to the music, it's definitely something to do with my background. Um, I think years ago I probably wanted to analyse it and it got incredibly tedious and boring and stopped me from just having a good time with it. Now I'm much more interested in just letting it happen and if I choose to to define it as coming from a particular area of heritage, if it makes sense to me, that's OK.
6: So you don't feel that you necessarily have to be writing Maori songs per se?
5: Well, no. I think if I were to write um, in terms of... Writing in terms of a project type situation, I think the songs would be less realistic as coming from me as a person and from my lifestyle. But if I if it happens to come out in terms of something, I realise after I've written a song that it means something politically for me, or personally passionate about my lifestyle, my family, my daughter, or whatever I've been going through. Whether it's an intimate love song or an um, passionate and love song, um. These things just tend to happen according to the situation. And if I were to be asked, could you please write a song about a particular topic, whether it's political or whether it's to do with um, an intimate love situation, I think I'd find it quite hard because that takes away from one's own experiences. It would certainly remove myself from me and make it more abstract and possibly more difficult um, and dishonest.
6: What sort of influences in your life have you wanted to write songs about?
5: Uh, well, I think probably, obviously, from the latest album, Teddy Paul, my family is influential in that respect. Um, but the fact that I'm female obviously comes through in my songs. Um, it's not necessarily that I'm out there trying to write songs about women um, or women's issues, they are simply to do with my own experiences. And if they apply to other women in a positive way for them or in terms of their experiences that they can relate on the same path, that's very nice.
6: Would you describe yourself as a feminist singer?
5: No, I wouldn't. I think the word feminism is a Pākehā word which is not necessarily used in the Māori world. It also implies that I'm just like every other woman who calls herself a feminist. Now, I've, I'm certainly um, all for supporting women's issues and children's issues. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <clears throat> But I, I kind of, the, my experience overseas and my experience in this country as well, having been interviewed by people who label me a feminist, they are often on a path that has nothing to do with my life in terms of wanting to talk about goddesses, for example, uh. or um, having very, very little understanding of me as a person or as a Māori woman with a Jewish background and a Scottish past, and um, how terms like that put, Completely separate me from my own reality.
6: That's right. There is a uh, there's a human tendency to want to label people, isn't there? And yeah. then to assume that we know what those labels mean.
5: Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying. I, 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 having said that, I don't disagree with certain labels. I, what I disagree is how with is how they are used and abused, and how derogatory terms can arise from that. And that again is to do with people's experiences. Um, yeah i mean it 's like the word nice. if um, we put five people in a room and call them all nice and then discover that they are all individuals with incredibly different personalities, then they 're certainly not all nice <laughs> that 's right
6: there are there are shades of nice <laughs> yes
5: so now, I, I find it quite a lot of people do ask me about the word the term feminism, and I do wonder if they 're actually you know looking for some great politi- p- political Um, intellect to come out of me and it's very interesting because I think that everybody has their own politics everyone is political as long as they're living the lives that they choose and they um, have a conviction for their way of life that is not affecting anybody else in terms of an offensive way.
6: So you see politics as basically a personal thing?
5: For me I'm not speaking in terms of anybody else. Mm. I mean, obviously I have my own politics, but um, there are things I feel strongly about. Māori health, for example, Um, motherhood, (laughs) women in music. Um, Anything that that, um, I suppose a woman or any person, male, female, Māori, Pākehā, Jewish, Scottish, chooses to do in their lives, it can be termed political according to how they convey their own experiences in terms of how they choose to... um, would these, um, th- their way of life and term it an issue. I think there's a difference between an issue and a way of life.
6: You grew up, getting back to your early background for a minute, you grew up in a very strongly Māori area, Taumura Nui. Mm. Do you think that those early influences of Māori singing and harmonising and so on, mm-hmm were a strong influence on you musically.
5: Most definitely. But it's interesting because having, with with the, the strong Māori influence in terms of both of my parents <coughs> being involved in kapahaka groups, um, listening to kuia and kurawa with their wayata and having an incredible fascination with pātere and the rhythms of our old people. And that's not just a... A vocal rhythm. It's a, a physical rhythm. There's an absolute passion and emotional stance that happens that we are absolutely captivated. And um, the, so there was that. That was a strong influence. But also we were influenced by classical music. We were influenced by country music. I love country music. And um, a lot of jazz, a lot of rock and roll. And so the, the and and also Jewish the Jewish sound, which took me a long time to understand for myself, in terms of where did I hear it and why do I sing the way I do. And that goes back to my father, the way he sings. It goes back to something that's inborn, that um, I carry with me and I enjoy it. It's quite safe inside and I enjoy singing it out so that the the cross flow of sound that is Māori and Jewish can intersperse with each other quite casually.
6: Was it hard for you to find your own voice, your own sound? Because as you say, Mm. you now seem to be very secure in that. You know what is something that's distinctively yours. But how hard is it to find that voice?
5: Well, I think it's all in terms of the voice, it's been there. But what has been hard for me is to accept that it's actually okay. For many years, I felt like I had to sound like somebody else or I was being told I sounded like someone else. so I was forever trying not to sound like somebody else. Who did they tell you you sounded like? I was told for a long time I sounded like Joni Mitchell, who I have not heard of, who, of course, I've since heard of and admire tremendously. Um, but I tried very, very hard not to sound like her and then recognised that we are very different and that I'm not trying to copy her. Whatever I've come up with, um, you know, there, there obviously <laughs> there, there are experiences in my life musically that have formed some kind of a musical path for me, be it jazz, be it classical music, country music, wayata. Um, the Scottish sound, which I love, the modal feel of the bagpipes, for example, and also, as an adult, really, really enjoying the sound of Irish music and the passion that comes with the people of a nation whose music tells their own story, which, of course, also happens with Māori and it happens with the Jewish people, although the Jewish people, we are so spread out and we have such a variety of ways of looking at life.
6: Do you think of yourself as Jewish?
5: Um, Are you a
6: a practicing Jew?
5: No, I'm not. I tend to think of my father as Jewish, therefore I have a Jewish ancestry. Musically, it's definitely influenced me. Um, And I've enjoyed learning about how I use my vocal sound, which I now recognize comes from a Jewish thing, when I was a child, for example, singing something like You Are My Sunshine and singing You Are My Sunshine, that kind of thing, and (laughs) being told to shut up and what on earth is that noise, to um, decades on recognising, oh, I actually just naturally do that. It sounds um, like the the
6: beginnings of a soul sound.
5: Well, it's interesting. Well, you see, when you look at things like Māori music in terms of um, where to without accompaniment, in terms of guitars and listen to listen to old people on the marae, or listen to concert groups who sing traditionally, there is an incredible amount of compound timing in the way they sing. And also this modal sound that happens, which also happens in um, Middle Eastern music, be it Arabic music or be it Jewish music. It's, it's where well, you a, get
6: those half and quarter notes. Well,
5: yes, and also in Scottish music. It's really, really interesting. I mean, it is an international language, and I think there are a lot of languages that are used in music that are much more easy um, to find these days it's not so much um, there are so so many quarters of music in the music industry there are so many aspects of it on commercial radio there is so much of it that intersperses with each other so that it forms its own huge group of individuals really I hope that makes sense I mean yes no it's fascinating so you feel as though you're
6: part of a of a whole international movement that's just blossoming
5: I think everybody is I think whether you have a record contract, whether you write your own music or whatever, everybody has an input into music. This year I worked with some um, high school students at Western Springs College, helped them to write music for a a school play, which they wrote themselves. Now many of these, these young people thought they couldn't sing, they didn't have the confidence or whatever, and so I worked with them, we did a lot of boxing, a lot of physical activity, a lot of yelling. Boxing? Boxing is amazing in terms of helping people come to grips with their own vocal sound because it's to do with finding your own physical balance. It's to do with finding out how you're breathing, learning about your strength, learning to punch out the sound which is really to do with one's confidence so that when you make a sound you know that when you yell at someone because they've Taken something from you, like we in in school, I use the term "Give me back my bag, imagining someone 's pinched someone 's back it 's very, very easy for anybody to yell to a person, Give me back my bag you know but to sing that to sing the first note that that person makes is incredibly embarrassing, and so what happens to us, I think is that we our physical makeup changes we hunch our shoulders or you know we become shy um, the whole inhibition of making sound, particularly for females just overrides the, the desire to sing. And so once these young people learnt the fun of making sound and decided for, th- for themselves individually where their confidence lay in their stomachs, with this physical activity, after two weeks, many of these young people who were extremely quiet were doing solos, and I was writing music, particularly for some of these individuals. So I thought they were incredibly courageous, and um, standing up there singing original music. That also and,
6: shows that you've obviously got quite a talent for teaching music.
5: Well, I, oh, I suppose. I hadn't <laughs> really thought of it in Is terms it something of, you but, find satisfying? I do find it satisfying, but I I don't have any technical knowledge. I've got no theoretical background, which is disarming at times. But um, the fun that I can have with working with music in this aspect teaches me a lot. These young people teach me a lot. And when I work with anybody who feels um, some kind of um, self, um, what's the word, put themselves down in terms of music... I guess because a lot of my life has been putting myself down in other areas of my life, um, I've kind of learnt to use music, to use those fearful experiences, to use those terrible um, experiences of lack of, lack of self esteem, and put it into a musical context so that when I'm working with other people, I have at least that experience to work on and I can find some way of understanding their lack of confidence
6: has music been a necessary emotional release a way of working through experiences for you then
5: absolutely it's my therapy
6: what would you have done without it do you think
5: i wouldn't like to think like that i think that um everybody has their thing whether it's reading a book whether it's knitting whether it's driving 20 miles, <laughs> singing the heads off, or whether it's going and buying a punching bag and uh, punching it all out. We all have a different way of, that's still creative. I think that we have an unfortunate idea that being creative simply means drawing, being able to paint, being able to draw, uh perhaps writing stories, perhaps writing poetry, perhaps writing music, or being able to sing. But I think that, you know, when we look around us at the people we know, the the men and women who dress with absolute finesse or people who have um <coughs> excuse me, amazing ways of making their homes look like palaces, <laughs> or putting, putting their own personality into how they arrange a room, um, the way that they're able to talk to children. Those are all to do with their... There's something inside those people that gives them that individual creativity. Um, it's just that music has such an international um, communication that's, that's accessible in terms of being allowed to relate to it. There is an emotiveness with it that's acceptable.
2: Mahina Rangitoka, talking in a Radio New Zealand national interview with Diana Burns in
1: 1997. He ki ana whānau. A and you're listening to Te
5: Toy Te
2: Toi Māori Aotearoa is an organisation fostering the development of Māori art by working across all art forms from whakairo to contemporary Māori writing. One of the annual events Toi Māori coordinates is Māori Writers on a Bus. Where Māori writers hit the road, literally taking their works to regional communities.
1: Now, I don't know about you, Iteiwi, but buses for me involve pineapple lumps, guitars, and very loud singing. Apirana Taylor, North Te Apanui, Ngāti Parau, Me ngāti Ruanui, shares with us his experiences of the 2008 tour.
7: We had a marvellous, marvellous um, tour throughout all Northland. There was myself, uh, there was a storyteller, Joe uh, Harawira, and there was um, uh, the, uh, the poet, uh, Hinamwana Baker, and uh, a novelist, Kellyanne uh, more. So we were quite a powerful little canoe. A ko he e ti he paunamu, ne. Ma heo koe te kororoa kui maa koromaa. Te kaha me te mana hoki o enei wahineerongi tenei haarenga. Me te pae hoki o rangatahi. You know, the, the writers on this tour really gave a lot to every audience that we went to. It was a wonderful performance. Um, experience really.
1: So you were going through Kawakawa, Paihia, Kaikohe, yeah. Kirikiri, Moidawa and Whangarei?
7: All the high spots in Northland.
1: And you are visiting the schools at said events?
7: Well yes, well this is one of the wonderful things about these sort of tours of uh, Māori artists into various areas throughout the country, you know, because uh, we get to meet young people, our young people, not just Māori but Pakeha and also get to meet a lot of adults and teachers and, and share our art with them, and their response is so positive, you know, this, uh, and it's um, almost overwhelming everywhere we went. The young people have the wonderful minds, and they really they contribute too in their own way, you know, so this is the good thing about these tours.
1: So how did it work, Apilana? Did you roll up to a school, pour out of the bus? Yeah. Go yeah. into assemblies?
7: Oh, I'm a seasoned trooper with these, you know. Yeah, into assembly, pour forty, and then right into it. One of the things was that one of the comments that was made by people was that our work was edgy on the edge, you know, and the students loved it because you don't talk down to the students and, um, and not just the students, but we did readings and more. Well, that place was packed, you know. Yeah. And uh, such a wonderful way to meet people, especially many of our people. And I think, that, as I would say, again, the wonderful thing about these things is you get to get real and get out and meet our real young people, not just what the media always betrays them, you know, and what a bit, bunch of um, incredibly talented young people they are. And uh, get our art out to them. Kia kōrero or kia awhi You know, embrace them and learn with their arts. Art is so important. We need to have more of us and less politicians. Kā rea kōrero there kia
1: Were you reading from your current work or reading from past works?
7: Well, I mix it up because um, I talk to everyone from young new entrants right up to um, Ngāpākeke, you know. So I have children's um, stories and and things like that and then poetry. And, uh, yeah, so um, I read to everyone uh, from uh, from work that I wrote earlier because a lot of it is set text for schools. All right. so I can actually get out there and tell them what the poem was about <laughs> you know and so I suppose it helps them with their marks but I don't tell them I talk about it and they right. come to their own conclusions so they go and use a lot of my work so uh, I always read some of that and I try and mix a bit of new stuff in um, and I think that's the same with uh, with Henry Moana Baker she usually gets uh, mixes it up a little bit and uh, you're continually having to create new stuff
1: mm. and uh, as a, as a Raupu, yourself, Joe, Haraweta, Henumwana Baker, and Kaliana Mori, how did you guys gel?
7: Uh, well, I thought we gelled pretty well, you know. Mind you, that's my opinion. Because you've
1: got pretty different styles, eh?
7: <laughs> oh, all totally different. But in that, you're living in a bean can for four or five days. Um, so you learn to just get on with each other and appreciate each other, you know.
1: So does Soi Māori have a bus then?
7: Oh well, Is this it buried, like a tour it's bus. a bus. It's buried from a bus to uh, a van, and, and uh, it's just called the on the bus tour. But it's wonderful. I mean, I can't stress it enough. The, uh, there are two people and two sets of people involved in this uh, tour. Tours like this. There's the artists, and there's the uh, people who you read to, and each was, each should take a bow, I think, from this tour because they all went, it all went so well. Plus uh, Te Wakatoi and Toi Māori and Awa Hikore, they're behind the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what that's was a good thing for our young people and for old people too, because we also do evening readings. So you can actually get out and meet people, and people can come up and talk to you, whether it's myself or any of the other artists on the tour, which they like to do.
1: And what were some of the responses of some of the people that you fellas met?
7: Uh, well if I had this card that just one school gave us it was just went everything all the superlatives and the uh, praise were beyond words this is from the students you know and it was genuine instinctive. No, you better say this because we think you barely but they wanted to respond you know they did enjoy our work and it's taking art to them and letting them know that not all poets are dead you know you don't have to belong to the dead poet society belong to the live poet society not all poets are dead straight and boring we're certainly alive not straight not boring (laughs) and the kids love it you know and they can learn from the poetry and such things because we pass on stories the stories of our time which the children and the rangatahi menga pakeke they can all relate to uh and this is important Mm. I think there's a lot of power in people's art, and we have a lot of young people and a lot of people out there with the ability to do art. So this is all a very positive thing. This on the on the bus tour. Kia ora, Ngāiwi kapa i te tālā te noa e kore roana ki a kai te moenga kaipakari e hare ana i hare mata ki te tāi toki ra i te wakira i runga i te harenga pahi. This is upi te saying. Hello and thank you everyone up there in the far north. Uh, we were up there last week on this uh, uh, Contemporary Māori Writers Tour on the bus. Thank you to all the people from the Taitokero, Māori, Pākehā young and old who helped us on this trip and made it such a memorable up in the uh, Taitokero and we enjoyed your company and we hope that you enjoyed our art.
1: And not a pineapple in
2: sight. Kia ora noi te iwi, The word toa refers to a war party or a fighting crew, if you like. Now, if you haven't seen it and want to, maybe now is a good time to have a cup of tea, as Mariah is about to ruin, I mean, give away the plot.
1: In toa, a rangatira of an iwi has been abducted and is bound to a waka, which has been carried through the bush pursued by the enemy. The toa carrying the waka is led by their opposing rangatira. Two young boys sit in the waka and during the course of the film show compassion towards their captor that has big, big payoffs.
2: Toa was written and directed by Te Kahi, no Ngāti Pawa Waikato and since the release of Toa, the short film has appeared in a number of international film festivals and along the way picked up a number of awards.
1: Including the best short film at the 2007 Telecom New Zealand International Film Festival. Best short film at the 2007 National Geographic All Roads Film Festival in the United States, and it received an honourable mention at the 2007 Imagine Native Film and Media Arts Festival in Canada.
2: Quentin Hita, Ngapuhi Me taranaki, is the film's producer. He explained the difficulties involved in filming Tower in the Waitakere Ranges.
4: Well, the film is actually ridiculous on every level. Um, you know, I talk about it being ambitious. I guess I'm. Uh, I say this partly tongue in cheek and partly with some pride as well. I guess that I, I, I would go so far as to say this would have to be one of the you know the top five most ambitious short films ever shot um, in New Zealand. It was pretty ambitious, and you're working with a short film budget. That that's probably the first challenge is the um, the uh, limited money. Uh, but when you add to that three locations. And, you know, at least one of those locations was pretty inaccessible, and in trying to get a 60-foot waka down there. Just to give you an example, and this is really just the top of the iceberg, um, you know, we rung every firm in, in Auckland to try and find a uh, transport company that would take the waka down to um, Karakare, where we, where we shot, where one of the locations was. Uh, nobody would would agree to do it. We got a number of drivers out there to take their trucks out and drive it and they wouldn't even, they, they wouldn't even go down the, the road. It's that um, treacherous. And uh, so about that time I was telling the um, director, you know, we had, we'd have to find another location. He was adamant to, we needed to keep trying. Um, so I even went so far as to inquire about uh, how much it would cost to chopper the damn thing. And, um, you know, and apparently the cheapest cho- the uh, only chopper in the country that could uh, carry something that large is in tow and that's charged out at what, something like eight thousand dollars a half hour. So there's our budget gone already. We talked to the um, uh, Piha Surf Club to see if we could uh, float the waka around somehow from one of the bays, and we were told, um, you know, categorically that that's the, most, that's the most dangerous stretch of water in the country. We, you know, we're putting ourselves at at real risk. Um, and then fortunately uh, one of the companies we contacted, um, it was the last company that we contacted before we gave up, um, was a boat transport company and he had an articulated lorry and as luck would have it, he'd actually done that road a couple of times and agreed to take it on. So without going into too much detail, if you think about that challenge, logistical challenge and then uh, what's involved with getting insurance for the waka on that sort of trip, et cetera, et cetera, um, it became uh, a big mountain to climb.
2: Um, The theme of compassion does still come through between the young boy and the prisoner. You know, you've got the challenge of getting the walker over. You've also got the fact that, okay, these guys have been hunted. But when they start giving the prisoner water and whatnot, um, it's very important to get that right. Otherwise, it can get lost in in amongst everything else.
4: Um, Yeah, I think that's a really insightful observation, and that is the crux of the film. It's, It's an act of compassion um I think that's testament to the skill of uh, Taipur firstly as a writer and, and then as as the director as well because um, you're absolutely right you need to you need to capture that that is the the arc of the story it's also the um, main character's um, um, arc as well um, uh, and you know Taipur who I think is one of the most gifted um uh, storytellers and, and directors we've got in the country um, he had a very I think he had a very very clear vision in his head of what this thing would look like so you know if uh, I agree with you I think that um, you know that that that, that, it, that was achieved uh, and that comes down to really Te skill, skill um, as a writer and a director
2: do you think the fact that it is a short film really does actually it it's it's just right for- the right format for it? It does do the movie justice?
4: For this particular story, yes, I think it does. Um, And, you know, I I should add too that a lot of people have uh, seen some merit in in, um, maybe turning this into a longer story. Um, As it currently stands, it suits the short film format because, you know, it is sort of a one idea. It's just a very simple story. And particularly we've found um, with the film Travelling Overseas, yeah, people get very, very excited about, uh, I think, the exotic images. Um, a lot of these images are still fresh in the international uh, mind. So, um, you know, we get a lot of a lot of feedback about that. For this particular story, yeah, it definitely suits the short film format.
2: Well, just on that, the international response. I mean, this film has been at a lot of uh, film festivals in Germany, France, the Netherlands, uh, Canada. Um, what? A, yeah, you've just touched on a little bit of their response, but have there been other aspects that people have, particularly Indigenous people, that they've been able to relate to?
4: Really, I think, I know it's a cliché, but it is a universal story. Um, and, and actually, I remember Tarepa telling me, it screened in Hawaii, I think, as well, and obviously with an Indigenous audience there, and he said the response there, one of the responses um from that audience was that they also had similar characters and stories in their own folklore, uh, so they really related to it on that level. Um, so that's something unique to Indigenous audiences, I think. But the mainstream audiences, and part of the reason why it's been successful overseas, is that it is a universal tale. I think that, in combination with the exotic images, um, and also the um, the 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 risk, I guess, that Tarapu has taken in telling a film with no dialogue. Um I think those three things combined have uh, helped to make it a success internationally
2: as a filmmaker for yourself, what do the awards mean
4: um oh gosh i've you know just, i've i got to qualify the title filmmaker for me you know i'm a filmmaker slash um uh businessman slash pragmatist so um you know you probably get a different story if you talk to. Uh, other people involved with the film who maybe are involved in more creative areas, but you know, for me, awards I think basically at a pragmatic level mean leverage um, to be able to go out and I mean, obviously, it's, any publicity for a film is great, um, and it just gives you leverage in negotiating for um, the next film you're working on. Um, so it's it's good in that sense. The actual for the film festival circuit itself is, uh, you know, is, um, has been great professional development as well. I mean, I'm. Very much um, a neophyte in, in the filmmaking business, so um, uh, you know, getting out and seeing what what benefits um, having your film play at uh, um, highly regarded film festivals around the world, what what the benefits are, has been a, a real um, learning experience for me as well. I think it's important that we do get films into festivals and awards; they do make a difference. Um, the buzz, I guess, is what they call it. And we're starting to see the benefits of that now. I mean, on the back of the success of Towa I've been able to get a couple of meetings with some um, big international um, uh, uh, film distribution agents, sales agents, to talk about um, future projects. Um, and We would never have had that opportunity uh, were it not for the success of Taua. I had no idea what difference a film festival could make and what a difference awards could make um, when we first started down this um, track But I must say three, four years down the the road, um, I've I've really come to understand how important it is um, to get your films out into these film festivals.
2: And just on the uh, upcoming projects, earlier you mentioned the feature film. What else is in store for for you, Quinton?
4: Um, well, I have my own production company, um, Kura Productions, here in Auckland, uh, which is a joint venture between myself and um, South Pacific Pictures, and I, I'm the managing director, so I'm pretty busy most of the time with that. Um, most of our slate is multi television programmes, um, and we're just working on a new multi language show for um, uh, MTS at the moment called um, Tōkuruo. Uh, which is a new language tutorial show based on the Te Whanake, um resources by John Moorfield. We're in pre-production with that at the moment, so um, that's keeping me busy. We have a tally feature in development with TVNZ, uh, which is something that Te Arub and I are collaborating on, and um, this first feature film, which is still in development. Um, if all things uh, go according to plan, I, I would really like to... Uh, see this go into production um, maybe at the end of this year um, but that's you know, being pretty optimistic I guess. Um, it's a long process development. Um, and we have feature film, a gift design and development at the moment and um, beyond that uh, a few ideas for um, some future uh, feature film projects as well. And apart from that um, looking after my three beautiful kids under five which is a full time job.
2: Quentin Hita, Nong Ngāpuhi me taranaki, discussing the short film Tawa, which he produced, that was written and directed by Te Aripā Kahi.
1: You're listening to Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. Any feedback, you can email us at teahikā at radioNZ.co.nz. That's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A
2: at radioNZ.co.nz.
1: Kei te ki te
2: in the build-up to Anzac Day, our archival segment, Ngā Taonga focuses on the 28th Māori Battalion. In 1980, nata Nor Ngāti Parau recorded a tribute programme to the battalion, which includes an actual broadcast piece from North Africa and excerpts from the 1947 reunion. <laughs>
8: Engai te o tena katoa and welcome again to Te Punawai Kōrero. This weekend, Kaitaia in the far north is hosting the Māori Battalion reunion, perhaps the last of this size, to be held in one of the smaller centres of New Zealand. Men of the Māori Battalion paid the price of citizenship in their native country by shedding their blood on foreign soil and their comrades are gathering at the moment to reflect on that supreme sacrifice to see old friends and, of course, to enjoy themselves. Much has been written about the prowess of the men in the Māori Battalion and also in the Pioneer Battalion during the First World War. In 1923, Lieutenant H. Drew, in the War Effort of New Zealand, wrote, In the world's history no greater warrior race ever existed than the Māori, a chivalrous enemy with magnificent traditions. It is less than 60 years since the last of the Māori wars ended. Since then, the Māori has shown that he possesses the essential attributes to claim equality with any of the white races. At the commencement of the conflict, the Māori sought the right to share with the white inhabitants of his ancient country the risks of war against a common enemy. Thirty-four years have now passed since the Dominion monarch, discharged New Zealand's sons at Altair Key in Wellington, among them the Māori Battalion. After a state welcome and family reunions, it was not until 1947 that the battalion were given their first opportunity to hold its first reunion. I am looking out on the grim country which
3: marked the final natural defence against our advance into the Tunisian plain. Already, Tunis and Breserta have fallen. First Army, assisted by eight Army units, making their brilliant assault only five days ago. In the background, you may hear some of the artillery regiments as the last positions of the Axis uh, front are being attacked infantry assaults have been carried out and although the enemy is practically surrounded his resistance has been fierce and determined an attack on the maoris only two nights ago was beaten off and one of the final triumphs of this battalion was their sortie next day of which resulted in the capture of the entire company which had opposed them just in front is the famous feature of Takruna, which will be remembered by all New Zealanders as the most remarkable action of the division in the Egyptian, Libyan, and African campaign generally. It was upon this feature that the enemy had established his strongest points and had entrenched considerable numbers of both Germans and Italians to hold the entrances to the impedable line and protect our assault on the Mengub Hills. The story has already been told of how one Maori sergeant, assisted by four other ranks, climbed what had been considered an impossible height and initiated the assault which finally led to the capture of this famous feature and eventually to the collapse of the front line uh, German positions. It is a grim-looking hill site, standing out in the middle of the battlefront, and dominated by an old Berber fort. Everyone will remember Takruna and the gallant action of the Maoris, who led the attack upon it and cleared the way Finally, for further exploitation by all eight army units and their assault and success will surely be regarded
8: as one of the significant features in the final stages of this campaign. From the battalion's first reunion in 1947, we now bring you excerpts from the tributes paid to the valiant men of Tiropu, Ruotakau Mawaru Atumataoenga, the Army of Tumataoenga, God of war.
9: We are very fortunate this evening in having a very fine assortment of guests. Uh, They are gentlemen that we are very happy to see in this gathering. Now, amongst those guests, we have uh, Brigadier Hansen uh, of the Div Engineers. Uh, He will be known to quite a number of you. And in looking back on the engineer work, uh, I recollect when we sort of first came in contact with the engineers in Egypt in the early stages, and they used to come along and prepare practice uh, mine belts uh, for we poor infantry blighters to get practice in walking through and how the engineers enjoyed that. (coughs) Now, following uh, Brigadier Hanson, we have a representative from the artillery in Major Crawford Smith. Now, you know as much about the artillery as I do. And uh, we are very pleased to have Major Crawford Smith here. Now it's very appropriate that we have representatives from uh, each of the 21st, 22nd and 23rd battalions here. Uh, You know how closely we came into contact with those good people overseas and uh, it's very pleasing for us to have those three representatives here and we'd like not only those three representatives but also the um, gunner uh, to take very best wishes from this gathering <coughs> and to any of their ex-unit members that they happen to meet from time to
8: time. That speaker was Brigadier George Dittmer, 1st Commander of the New Zealand Maori Battalion. Brigadier Ditmer died last year and many attending the reunion at Kaitaia now were present at his funeral held at Rotorua last year.
0: As we gather round this board, enjoying to the full... The good things before you, for us, happy in the, uh, what shall I say, in the uh, congenial atmosphere made possible by uh, associations and friendships formed under the stress of campaigning, it is meet and proper, and I'm sure you will agree with me, that on an occasion like this, in the midst of all this frivolity and festivity, we should at least give some thought to those of our friends and comrades who are not present with us tonight. Many of them, you all know, have found last final resting places on foreign fields. Those scattered portions of God's earth are hallowed ground to us and I sincerely trust will be to to those who come after us. It is not for me, gentlemen, to pour forth pins of praise on their behalf or to eulogize their achievements It is the job for the historian and the archivist. But I can say this, that the sacrifices made by our comrades was no more and no less than sacrifices made by thousands of other good men Mm -hmm. who fell in the great course. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen,
4: This
0: is the price of citizenship.
8: The toast to absent friends proposed by Captain Awaro.
1: That was Fainata no Nati ending the archival segment, Natonga You can download the show and past episodes of Teahikar at radionz.co.nz forward slash
2: Teahikar. te reo A. Quentin Hitter, me Tefakamarama
4: Um, So the Whakatauki is Mateatu He Tete Kura alaman He Tete Kura. Um, And this is a very well-known whakatauki that's um, applied to um, lots of different situations, uh, specifically in the context of this film, it's about the rising of a new leader. Um, What does it mean to me? I think it's it's so well-known, maybe I'll give a little uh, personal angle on it. Um, when I used to live with uh, one of my nannies up north, um, my nanny, they were up north. Um, she had about, she was a storehouse of Maori knowledge. She had about 20 versions of this whakatauki. And what was fascinating was um, seeing her take this whakatauki and um, put it into her own words and change it, um, a word here, a word there, to suit... Um, whatever situation uh, she was in and uh, that uh, you know I attribute if, if I've got any ability these days in the Maori language to uh, play with language um, I attribute it to um, that experience and uh, also I had another another nanny I spent a lot of time with my nanny Mikara um, she had another version of it as well which I like which was Matatu uh, He Te to Te um, and I'll leave that to you guys to figure
2: out what that means. Kia ora Quentin Motenna. And in line with the Fakatoki, next week we pay homage tā to Tatato Kurawa, who served in the 28th Māori Battalion in the Second World War. In our Anzac special, Tongopuru artist Horomona Horo shares his experiences at the 2007 Passchendaele commemorations, No Mai Hokimaya no And that's us for another week. I'm Tanero Tuta.
1: Kumaraya he mihi ki na kai i tīnei wiki, ki na kai rā wiki wiki mihini, i a wiki, i a wiki, he mihi māhana ki a kaita katoa, ki te kai waiata āwhina he mihi. Hoi anō, ki te a mā himihi he mihi aroha ki a koutou mai te a te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia tata katoa hi tino mihi, hei tira wiki, tata katoa.